0: I am so glad you guys are here today. I have uh, expected the Lord to come and visit us. Man, does anybody else get wrecked in that song, Oh How He Loves? I just, ugh. Well, I wrecked in a good way. It just always powerfully impacts my life. We'll start with a question today. And it's, uh, it's an important one if you're married, or think you might be married someday. What does a purpose-driven marriage look like? What does a Christian marriage look like? Now, there are a lot of things, a lot of books, a lot of material out there. But I want to drill down today on what does a purpose-driven marriage look like. We're in part four of our five-part series called The Purpose-Driven Life, and we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to bring the Bible with you or open up your Bible app on your phone to Colossians, the third chapter. And if you're new to the Bible, just go to the table of contents. It's way further back than you think. Small little book, hard to find. It's, uh, it's there, but you look at the table of contents find the page. But we'll get to Colossians 3 in just a bit. Quite a few years ago, uh, most of you know, I coached at a high school level for a while while I was in Portland. And so loved the uh, pastor the church there. It was a smaller church and had lots of time to coach. And so I, I spent uh, actually seven years coaching at the high school level. And when you coach at a high school, you get to know other teachers and other people there, especially as many years as I've been around. And it was uh, one high school town, so I, I got to know a lot of people. And it was a guy in the, uh, he was not one of the coaches, but a guy on the staff, one of the coach, uh, one of the teachers there, and he came to me and said, "Hey, Kurt, um, so and so we're getting married, and uh, my fiancee and I, we, we would love to have you officiate at our wedding." And I said, "Oh, man, I'd be honored to do so." And I said, "But I said I do have one requirement." He said, "What's that?" I said, "I, I want you to go through premarital counseling." I said, St- "Statistically, those who go through premarital counseling have a much better chance of surviving the challenges of marriage." I said, "I really want you guys to do that." He said, "No problem." He said, "Do you do that?" I said, "Well, I can." I said, but you need to know, I'm a pastor, and I'm a Christian, and I'm going to use the Word of God, so if you want to go through it with me, that's great, uh, but I just want you to know, I don't pull any punches in premarital, so I wouldn't expect any less. Let's do it with you. Walked him through several weeks. We get to week four in my premarital uh, training with these guys, and I talk about forgiveness, and it's one of the most important topics uh, on, on the planet because it's how we enter into a relationship with God. It's how we maintain a relationship with our spouse and with people. And so I talked about forgiveness, what that looks like. And I got done with that session. I see you guys have any questions. And I was, it was very heavy. and Not in a bad way, but when you talk about you know, forgiveness and God's forgiveness for us and how we you know, forgive one another, it really does stretch uh, even us who are Christ followers. And this, this couple were not Christ followers yet. And they said, yeah, we do have one question. I said, what's that? He said, you know, for a month now, uh, you've been talking to us about what a Christian marriage looks like what it means to, to, uh, to have a, a marriage based on biblical truth. He said, our problem is we're not Christians yet. And I smiled and said, yeah, I, I, I know that. Do you wanna stay that way? And he said, no, actually we wanna both become Christians. And so it was cool, the coolest thing in the world. I got right there that night. I said, well, I walked them through the process of becoming Christ followers that night. And it was incredible. I call it pre-marital evangelism now. It's what I do. And I've done it many times after that. You get to that section. You can't talk about forgiveness without talking about God's love for us and His forgiveness for us. And it was powerful. It was really cool. One of the things, though, that I I wanted to, to tell them and I want to tell you is that there are certain aspects of what it looks like to be a Christian and to be married as a Christ follower. Now, last week I talked to the singles, and I acknowledge that 47, 46, 50% of the people in our culture are single. That means the other, many of them are married. And what I'm gonna talk about today, I'm gonna to tell you a heads up, has, applies to all of us. In fact, the passage I'm gonna use from Colossians chapter 3 is not the one typically used from Colossians 3 when people talk about marriage. But when we talk about relationship passages in the New Testament, obviously they are for all of us, but they certainly apply in our marriage. And so I want you to listen carefully, to married or not, to some of the principles we'll deal with. Let's pick up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. That means you've come to life in Him. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A lot there, I don't have the time to unpack it, but basically what Paul's saying is, because you now belong to Jesus, there's something different I want to share with you. So it said in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So Paul is saying, hey, because now what Jesus has done, because you are in Christ— There's a different way he wants us to live, a different way that he wants us to function. And we put off the old. He uses very similar language in Ephesians chapter 4. We take, we put off the old man, the old nature, the old person, and we put on Christ. We begin to live and look like him because of who we are. Verse 11, he says, uh, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And then he makes a shift. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have may have against one another. Forgive us, the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. An awful lot that's here in this passage. And I'm going to land on uh, just a few things from mostly from, uh, verses 11 through 14. But well, here's the first thing I want you to understand. When we talk about a purpose-driven marriage, what does that look like? Well, number one, who we are in Christ matters in a purpose-driven marriage. You want to take notes? It's on the back side of your bulletin. Who we are in Christ matters in a purpose-driven marriage. Now, it matters to all of us if you are in Christ. But it absolutely matters in a purpose-driven marriage as well. The central truth that we base our, our relationship with God on is that we are in Him, that we have a relationship with Him. And that changes us. It changes from the inside out and it changes our identity as well. And Paul says, therefore, now what's the therefore, therefore in verse uh, verse 12? Well, he's referring to everything he just covered, the first part of this chapter. But look at verse 11 again. He says, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's saying there? Well, if you understand the culture that Paul lived in, what he's saying is there's no... Uh, social distinction that matters. There's no religious distinction, uncircumcised or circumcised that matters. There's no uh, 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 ethnic background that matters if you are in Christ. Even slaves and free are all come together in the, in the body of Christ, in community with Christ as one. The therefore, is Paul saying, because of who we are, because of who we are, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. What's the point here when you apply this to a marriage? Well, in your marriage, when you take a Christ follower, married to a Christ follower, it's like a double espresso. What it ought to be is that twice as strong, twice as representative of who you are now in Jesus. Now, all of us are in Christ. All of us have a relationship with him, and our nature, our living, our pattern, our practices are to change because of that. But in a purpose-driven Christian marriage, it ought to be very apparent that who we are makes a difference. Let me make it real practical for you. My wife and I, who sits right down here, we've been married now 43 and a half years. Yeah, 43 and a half years. And um, it's, it's been challenging at times to be married to me. I know that's a shock to you. But it really has been. And one of the things that's been difficult for us from the very beginning is that we're very different not just male-female I mean very different she had three sisters grew up in a family with mostly all women except for her dad I grew up with two younger brothers and a baby sister who's tougher than all of us and uh, we very. she lived in the same house most of her life grew up in one city most of her life we moved everywhere all over the place so you put us together and that creates some differences we are very different people and what Paul is saying here and I'm playing this to marriage is that yes you come into a relationship with your spouse and there you bring with that maybe a thousand different things about each other lots of differences but it's who you are in Christ now that matters most when I look at my wife I'm not just looking at a woman who happened to have three sisters and grew up in a different environment than I did someone who's different than me I look at a woman who is now a daughter of the king she's a daughter of God she's chosen of God she's dearly loved by God and when she looks at me it's to be the same way and so our relationship with each other is not based on the things that we don't have in common or even a few things on the natural realm that we might what it's based on is the fact that she and I are in Christ who she is as a follower of Jesus and who I am as a follower of Jesus. Several years ago, a couple came to me and uh they wanted to chat with me about their marriage. I'm not a marriage therapist. I make that clear to people. And in fact, the wife wanted to go to a counselor. The husband said, no, I don't want to. She said, will you see Kurt? He, she said, he, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll go see Kurt. And so they came in and they, they uh, met with me in my office for a little bit. And my goal in that encounter was basically to listen, to give them a little bit of pastoral advice, which was going to be, you too need counseling. You need to go see somebody on a regular basis that can unpack the, you know, the mess that you're in. But I listened for about a half hour. And I listened to both of them go on and on and on and on. And it was like ping pong. She said something mean and ugly about him. He said something mean and ugly about her. And this went back and forth for, I'm not kidding, for like a half hour. And I didn't have a chance to to jump in and say anything. And finally I went, time out. I said, listen, do you guys have any idea how dishonoring you are being right now in the way you're talking to and about each other? They didn't have any idea. And I said to them what I'm saying to you now. When you get into a tiff with your spouse, anybody ever have a fight with your spouse? When you get into a struggle with your spouse, and frankly, again, applying this to all relationships, when you get into a battle with any other Christ follower, the number one thing we have to remember is that we are speaking to a child of God. I have to look at my wife and remember, okay, right now she might really be ticking me off. What she did or said might really have pushed a lot of my buttons, but I have to remember who she is and she has to remember who I am. Because who we are affects what we do, which takes me to point number two. Remembering who we are affects what we do in a purpose-driven marriage. Why is it such a big deal? Why does Paul take this time to talk about who we are? And he does it in many other places in the New Testament. Why does he talk about what it means to be in Christ or in Jesus, in real Because he knows that it affects our, our view of ourselves, it affects our view of people around us. And who we are, remembering who we are, will affect what we do in a purpose-driven marriage. It always will. Look at verse 12 again. It says, therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What Paul is saying is because of who you are, make godly and wise choices. Don't miss that here. Therefore, as God's holy love, dearly kids, because of who you are, he says, now you've got to do your part. You've got to make a choice. He says, you must clothe yourselves. It's an interesting word there. Uh, it basically means to put on. Now, I don't know about those of you watching online at home right now, but I look around the room, and I'm really grateful that all of you decided to get clothed today, that nobody came their PJs or worse, that you you know, you're probably were something you actually like. And Paul is, is using an illustration that's very simple, but it's very practical and very powerful. He's saying, you now, because of who you are, have to make a choice to put on, to put off the old, he says the same thing in Ephesians 4, and to put on the new. We, we have to clothe ourselves with these five things he mentions here. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We must choose wisely. Why? Because of who we are. I choose to live differently. I, the practices of my life the practices in my marriage need to be different, look different in a purpose-driven marriage because of who I am. And these are, this is the foundation. This is where it begins for Paul. He says, we must remember who we are. And when we do, that changes what we do toward each other. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I'll just read it to you. Paul says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Another passage that applies to all of us. But one that absolutely must apply to marriage. He said, again, be devoted to one another. Do you think it's good to be devoted to your spouse? Not a trick question? Yes, good, good answer. To be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, first part of that chapter, verse 2 and 3, here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, Paul's not saying that it's sinful to take care of yourself. He's not saying that, that you shouldn't uh, be concerned about your physical condition or your emotional condition or your spiritual condition. But what he is saying, and this is very Christ-like, this is very otherly. He says, we need to be more concerned about the other than we are about ourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. What does that mean? That means I honor my wife more than I honor myself. Honor is this great word. It basically means to esteem. I show value. I honor her by showing how much she matters to me. And I do that more for her than I do for myself. In Philippians, again, he says, rather humility, value others above yourselves. He's saying don't discount, value yourself. Don't don't throw yourself under the bus, so to speak. But more than you care about yourself, care about your spouse. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When I remember who I am, it ought to change the way I live. When I remember who my wife is, it ought to change the way I relate to her. And I make choices, and there are five things he gives us here, all of them challenging, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. By the way, I do pretty well on the first couple. I'm fairly compassionate and fairly kind. I'm, I'm occasionally humble. But when you start getting to the last two, gentleness and patience, I suck. I am not really good at that, not at all. Uh, my wife as much as I love her and I do value her and as credible she is her driving drives me crazy I have her permission to tell you that but but uh, when I'm in her car and she's driving her car and I'm the passenger I, I mean have there have been times where I reach over and honk the horn because she won't honk it at, at somebody you think that doesn't yeah that's not good that does not go well in our marriage she doesn't like it when I take control of the steering wheel when she's driving Go figure. Uh, She doesn't like it when I complain about, why do you, she, she, my wife, she, she has this belief, and uh, it's probably a good belief that she never goes the same way twice. I think she works for the CIA, you know, her, her, her opinion, her, her belief is that, well, I, it's good for your brain to not get into a rut. So she never goes the same way twice, ever. I mean, from here to the office, uh, to the building at home today, she will probably go a different way than she came this morning, won't you? Yep, she will. And, and it drives me crazy. Why are you going this way? That's not the way I go. This is not the right way. And I am not a gentle and patient man. I'm just not. But it's something I have to choose to put on. I have to choose to dress myself, to clothe myself in that, and to value her. To honor her above myself I give you there are a thousand ways we can do this in relationships well let's talk about marriage a little bit more and I'm gonna land on one it just happens to be a pet peeve of mine you can ignore me that's fine one of the things that I I believe in is that I think it's I show honor to my wife when I open the door for her now I know that's very uncommon today uh, I know that's not normal today uh, I won't be standing in the lobby walking watching in the parking lot to see if any of you do that today you know it's okay and I know, I've heard women, oh, I don't need him open the door for me, I'm quite capable of opening the door myself, thank you very much. Well, and when it comes to capability, my wife is 10,000 more, 10, more ways more capable than I am. She's extremely capable. But one of the ways, a simple way that I show her that I honor and value her is I just open the door for her. I just, I, I do it when we walk into a building. I learned recently, do you know that going up and down steps there's a way to honor somebody? That if you're going down, she should be behind you so that if you fall, I mean, if she falls, you catch her. And if, she, and if she's going up, you should be behind her so that you can catch her. Silly little things like that. Seriously, I read this recently. It's true. that that's actually the proper etiquette way to do it when you're with your spouse. For me, and again, some of you are like, oh, my goodness, that's just dumb. I don't care what you do, but what do you do to honor your wife? Maybe you put away the dishes, and that's kind of her job. Maybe, you know, well, you've divvied up the chores and instead of of, uh, her taking, you you taking out the trash that day, she takes it out for you. I don't know how you do it in your marriage. And frankly, I really don't care. What I do care about is, are you esteeming, honoring, showing value to that person? Are you practicing compassion where you care about the person? Are you practicing that, that wonderful word, kindness, humility, gentleness? Are you being patient? Those are the ways we demonstrate that you really do matter to me, and I remember who you are. You're a child of the king. From the very beginning, I just don't have time to get into this thing, but from the very beginning of of the Word of God, page 1, chapter 1, we see that God chose us, and and he chose us to act and live as if we were royalty. Did you know that? True thing. God says, I'm giving, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you dominion over the earth. I'm putting you in charge. You're, you're going to. And from the very beginning, God's intent for us in our relation with him is we become, when we become Christ followers. And I know if you're not a Christ follower yet, it sounds a little fairy tale-ish. F- I get that. But it, we are, when we become kids of the father, we become princes and, pr- and princes in the kingdom. We, that's, what he, that's how he looks at you. And if I look at my wife as a princess, as a child, as, as, as a daughter of God, do you think it's going to change the way I treat her? Hello? Yeah. yeah, of course it is, and vice versa. There are lots of ways we can show that we honor, but the point is that when I remember who I am and I remember who she is, it ought to affect what I do, the way I treat my wife. And both of us must put on these practices of Jesus. What Paul lists here are these things that we need to put on. So we need to consciously make a choice. Something happens in your marriage, it'll happen today, if not tomorrow, it'll happen. I promise you, it'll happen. Some button will get pushed. And at that moment, you can say, you can go ballistic or you can put on kindness. You get angry or you can put on humility. You can get really, really frustrated or you can put on compassion. You know, she's had a hard day. It's okay that she's a little grumpy right now because, man, she went through a lot. That's what the the Bible calls us to. And that's what a purpose-driven marriage is. We remember who we are and it affects what we do. One more thing. And you thought, this, that last one was tough. Wait for this one. Number three, a purpose-driven marriage practices a lifestyle of forgiveness. A purpose-driven marriage practices. And I use the word practice there because it's something we're going to have to, we work on all of our life. But practice is a lifestyle of forgiveness. Look at verse 13 again. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. You know why Paul said that? It's because sometimes we're unbearable. We are. And he says, I get the humanness, I get the struggle, I understand the reality of life, of living with people, humans. Take one person, put it with one person, and you got conflict, you got challenge, you got things that are unbearable at times. Paul says, I get it, but bear with one another, bear with each other, and forgive whatever. I love the fact that he doesn't give us any wiggle room here. Forgive whatever grievances you may have. He doesn't say just the big things, but whatever. Whatever grievances you have, Paul says, forgive them. And what's the basis for that? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. There are lots of opportunities to practice forgiveness in a marriage. Like I mentioned, I've been married 43 years. We've been together for 45 and I can tell you from first hand experience that there have been thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities for us to practice forgiveness. And I love when I go do premarital with somebody or with a young couple, and they're just so, you know, oh, they're just so in love with each other, and you know, everything is so peachy keen and wonderful, and, and she doodles his name on everything, and he just thinks she's the hottest thing on the planet. And then a year later I go, How you guys doing? Oh, we're good. Yeah, and then about six, seven years later, hey, how you guys doing? We're together. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that, that we get the bubble burst, and it gets burst because we offend one another. We hurt one another. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We, we don't do things we should do. And by the way, listen carefully. I am not excusing any failure at any level, but I am going to say this. That's normal. Being human is normal. Failure is common. It's what we do when we fail. It's what we do after we fail that makes all the difference in the world. And so when Paul says, he said, bear with each other. Forgive whatever as you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. He's saying, listen, you've got to keep coming back to this reality. God has forgiven you. He's forgiven you of countless things, things that we haven't even thought of yet. He's forgiven of us, and he says, and because of that, that's the relationship we're to have. Again, it goes back to who we are. I forgive her because she belongs to someone else. She belongs to the Father. She belongs first and foremost to Him. And I forgive her because I care about her and I'm going to honor and esteem her and, and, and have compassion and kindness and humility toward her. And I forgive her because that's the way our marriage grows and continues to get healthy instead of get torn apart. What frustrates me a great deal, and I'll be honest with you, is all too often couples come to me. And by the time I, you know, they come to me and say, hey, you know, we need a recommendation for a marriage counselor, they hate each other. They've waited way too long. They've, they've, they've lived in bitterness and unforgiveness and vileness for so long. And it crushes my heart. I'm thinking, why did you wait so long? Listen, the fact that you're idiots is normal. The fact that you break each other's heart from time to time is normal. The problem is we don't know how to deal with it, to unpack that problem, that those things that happen, and to practice, to walk in a lifestyle of forgiveness. We have two choices when faced with hurt. We can hold on in bitterness and anger and become poisoned by that, and it poisons a relationship, or we can release. The word forgiveness uh, literally means to let go. Did you know that? In fact, another word picture that I love, in fact, it's my favorite one, is to untie a knot. And I always think of untying a knot. Ever had a, a knot in a hose before? Knot in a hose, what does it do? Restricts the flow, can't get anywhere. And to forgive is to untie the knot. It's to release someone from my judgment. It's to release them from my right for revenge. It's to release my wife from for, you know, for, for my sentence against her. You have wounded me, and I therefore I curse you. Maybe not with those words or with my actions, but in my heart I do. To release someone sets them free, but guess what? It also sets me free. It sets us free as well. We can hold on or we can release. And the call of Scripture over and over and over again, I could take you so many places, is that we are called to forgive as we've been forgiven. I had a wife come to me. This is quite a few years ago now. And she was um, very angry. Her husband had lost just about everything they had. He got involved in some pyramid scheme. I don't know something. They got r- roped into and He didn't check with her. And Then he did check with her. and It was too late, and he'd already made up. All- and he they he lost they lost their home, they lost their cars. I mean, they lost everything. Every dime they had in the bank was gone. And she came to me, and I love it when people come to me after church service and just go. Bleh! And she came to me. She was like, she, this is like seriously like two minutes after you know Hallelujah, praise you Jesus. She comes up to me and she just you know just ah. I hate my husband. I will never, she says, she said the words, I will never forgive him for what he's done. And I looked at her and I said, I have a question for you. She said, what? I said, have you ever made a bad decision that God forgave you of? She sighed and said, that's not the point. (laughs) I stepped back because I was afraid she might hurt me. And I said, no, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you're a Christ follower, and by the way, if you're investigating Christianity, I'm glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to discover grace. But we pull no punches when we tell people what it means to follow Jesus. And if you are a Christ follower, one of the primary ways we live that makes us, ought to make us radically different from the world that's watching is that we forgive as we've been forgiven. We don't live in hatred. We don't live in eye for an eye. We don't live with vengeance. We don't live trying to take people out because they've hurt us. We choose, look at the words again, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and we forgive as we've been forgiven. We forgive as we've been forgiven. That's the way of the cross. That's the way of Jesus. So what does it start with? Well, I remember who I am. I remember who my wife is. When I know who I am, it affects what I do, the way I live with her, the way I treat her, I try to put on then the things that look like, sound like, smell like, live like Jesus. I I just wanna be like him in my marriage. And then when it hits the fan, and it does, when things get, this morning we had a little spat. It it wasn't a big deal, but we had a little little spat this morning and she said something and I said something back and and, and I was a little hurt and she was a little frustrated and I said, well, great, I get to go talk about marriage this morning. (laughs) And we both started laughing. We just, we just started that song. <laughs> because in that moment, remembered. listen, she's not the enemy. I'm not the enemy. And we, we laughed and hugged, and she prayed for me, and here we are. Guys, that's life. That's real life. That's where we are. Paul says, forgive. And then I last, one last thing, verse 14. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're gonna talk a lot more about love this next year. I'm praying about and seriously contemplating, you can pray that God gives me some wisdom by doing a series for 2019 called 52 Moments. And I'm gonna do a 52 week series. And it's all beyond love. Moments where God loves us, moments where we love him, moments where we love one another. Because I'm convinced that this right, I've said it every week in this series, every week I've said it, to live a purpose-driven life starts, is sustained and ends right here. Will we love God and love others? Will we love God and love others? And Paul says, hey, uh, by the way, uh, the reason why all of these things are important and what keeps them all together is that you love God and that you love others. They're bound together by love. There are three things that I've learned about living a purpose-driven life. Here they are and I'm done. Number one, it ain't easy. A purpose-driven life, a purpose-driven marriage is not easy. I can promise you it's not easy. The second thing I want you to hear is that it's worth it if you just have a sticky attitude. And by that I mean don't quit too quickly. I know lots of you have been through divorce, and there are a lot of reasons for it. I get all of that. And by no means for, any, for a second do I want to put anybody in a position where you feel bad or guilty or ashamed. I'm just saying if you're married now, if you're still in a relationship with that guy or gal that you're married to, have a sticky attitude. To say, you know what? I'm not going to quit too quickly. In fact, I, 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 I'm just, whatever it takes, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to do everything. Now, yeah, it takes two. And I get all of that. A thousand things, a thousand what ifs right now hit a lot of your heads. I get that. But I do know this, that the way you survive over 43 years of marriage is you got to have a sticky attitude. You got to say, we're just going to keep at this until we figure it out. And here's the third thing I know. It's always worth it. It's always worth it. But two people love Jesus and they love one another, when they love Jesus and they love one another. And that's the qualifier. When they both love Jesus and they both love one another, man, it's worth it. It'll change everything. It'll change you. Barry had something to pray for you.